listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Good morning. It is good to see all of you. I'd invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 16, which has already been read into your hearing this morning. As Pastor Charlie mentioned, we are in our final week of the book of Romans. We have spent 30 weeks journeying together uh, through this wonderful gift of God's Word to His people for instruction. And so I don't know about you, it does feel like quite a journey. We've been on all these Sunday mornings together. It's like we committed to watching all the extended editions of Lord of the Rings, and now we're uh, near the end of The Return of the King, one of the three false endings. And so you know it's towards the end, but you have at least a half hour left. Uh, that's kind of where we are this morning going through this book. So one of the interesting things about a lot of the epistles at the beginning and the end is kind of where you typically get the context for what's written in the middle. And because I do know, and just by nature, you know, because we have the Bible and we put it all together, we do typically call it the book of Romans. Uh, but the reality is it is a, a letter. And so I feel like as you get towards the end, we're getting in kind of to the, the personal aspect and, and the context of which the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. You even get little tidbits about what's going on in Paul's life. And so you, you have verse 22, where it actually references the fact that Paul used a scribe. So it mentions this man named uh, Tertius, who was writing down this letter as Paul dictated it to him, which was a very common practice. And we get that throughout the New Testament. And so that's why you also get um, moments like in the book of Colossians, where Paul states, you know, I'm writing this with my own hand, because at other times he was dictating to a scribe so it could be sent out. And so what would take place, and one of the reasons why during, during this time we've been walking through Romans, that we have a, a member of our church come up and read the scriptures to begin with, is because that's what the church has always done. You know, so as these letters arrived at these different churches, like uh, in this instance, we know that this woman mentioned Phoebe carried this letter to the believers in Rome and said, hey, I've got a letter from our brother Paul, and he wants to encourage us in the Lord. And so the, the church would have taken that, and probably in a, in a small setting within a home, somebody would have been a, appointed to stand up and read this instruction, like, hey, this is what our brother Paul says to encourage us to live for Jesus and then after that moment, other people would have taken that letter and they would have copied it down by hand so they could pass it on to other believers in other cities or other parts of Rome so that they could read and be encouraged by the word of the Lord. And so that's where we're kind of wrapping up this morning. And one of the things I've just found, because I, I know I have this tendency to, to slip into this, is to sometimes view the Bible as this like academic work. Because we do begin to dig into the, this doctrine and application of the scriptures, and there is such depth to it that we want to understand it. But sometimes it can be lost on us that it is this personal letter from a man who met Jesus who loved and followed Jesus and wanted to encourage others to do the same. And he's writing to these people that he, he knows and he cares about. And so I love that you get that aspect in chapter 16, that he begins to, um, you know, as it says probably in, in your Bible, in the little heading that's in mine, it says personal greetings. 
And I do find that interesting because, uh, you know, one of the things I've just found as I have been on my own journey with Jesus and serving within the church is that from time to time, I will encounter people or have conversations with people uh, about this idea that can sometimes be pervasive with some people uh, that they might have this mindset that, you know, uh, I have Jesus, I have this faith in Jesus, but when it comes to the idea of church, it's kind of a, a take it or leave it. Like, hey, I really don't need that, that organized aspect or those other influences. Like, I, I feel satisfied that I just have my faith in Jesus and I can just go along and do my own things. And I, I think sometimes that can be a response in people's life if they have spent time within the church setting and then experienced emotional hurt. Sometimes people feel burned by this idea of church, this collective gathering of people who call Jesus Lord. But other times, I feel like it, it might just be that there hasn't been a, a, a more arduous application of the scriptures and what the scriptures teach about the reality of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so both of those things are true. And one of the things I see so clearly in Romans chapter 16 is that if we are following Jesus, if that is the stated purpose of our life, if we would call him Lord, there's not a, a New Testament picture of a life that follows Jesus that is not connected to his church. You know, so you can, you can read the book of Acts, you can read the epistles, you can read all of this instruction from the Lord, and throughout all of it, there will continually be this theme of relationships with other people, and that can be difficult. But one of the things we've wanted to come around, and what I would just truly believe, is that our theology, our understanding of what it means that God has done for us on our behalf in our lives is always meant to be lived out practically, like, this, this is not supposed to be an intellectual exercise. This is supposed to be a, a personal exercise in a lived-out faith in Jesus Christ. And so these past couple of chapters, you know, we have been talking about, there has been a lot of instruction about the relationships that happen within the community of faith, within the church. Because, you know, we, we pointed out that as, as Paul had unpacked all this understanding, all this doctrine about how God's salvation works, he kind of turned the corner and then he begins to just paint a picture of what a life looks like lived out. And so we've been talking a lot about these relationships the past couple of weeks, how we're supposed to, you know, bear with one another and there's weaker members and stronger members and we're not supposed to uh, get in uh, useless arguments, but we're supposed to, you know, contend with the faith all together. And so a life lived out in pursuit of Jesus will always be connected to other people within the church. Jesus has brought us into his family, and it is both an expression of our love for him to participate in relationships with other people, but it is also a deep human need that we have to belong that is supposed to be lived out within the church. Uh, there's a comedian named John Mulaney, who he used to be a cast member uh, at Saturday Night Live, and now he continues to do stand-up. And a couple years back, he was hosting SNL, and in his opening monologue, he made uh, these kind of statements. He, he was reflecting on the reality. He said, it's hard to make friends when you are an adult man. And I think that's something that uh, probably a lot of people have experienced. And this is what he went on to say. He said, I think that the greatest miracle of Jesus is was that he was a 33-year-old man and he had 12 best friends. 
And that's kind of the spawn this meme. You can find this around internet culture where people say that like, hey, why don't people talk about Jesus's miracle of having 12 best friends when he was a 30-year-old man. And then he even said, you know, and for Jesus, you know, it wasn't like these childhood friends that carried over. No, he made 12 best friends after he was already an adult. And they weren't his wife's best friend's husbands either. <laughs> you know, and so it, it got a good chuckle and it does kind of resonate. And we can even, uh, you know, look around at our culture today and maybe some of our experiences. And for a lot of people, uh, just kind of self-reporting when it comes to like sociological surveys, is they would report that as far as having a, a, a plethora of relationships that they view as deep is typically pretty low percentage. That people would say like, yeah, how many people in your life do you have that are close to you? It's usually a very small number that reports a, a greater than just like a few or just immediate family. And so I would say that, you know, as we are beginning to wrap up this book, this letter, that we do just want to recognize that there is this picture Paul is giving us for life lived out with Jesus. And we see that, that there is this closeness of relationship that Paul has experienced with others because of their shared family of Jesus. So all these people that Paul lists and uh, just the closeness and affection he has for them, this, he feels this connection towards them, we could say that that is the church. And it is how it is supposed to be. So, you know, I appreciate our church that when we um, were uh, just organizing a Sunday and uh, picking different people to read the scriptures, and it's always interesting when you come upon lists of names that are, you know, 2,000 years old, and there could be some challenges in that. And, you know, we can look down at who's in our church and be like, hey, you know, that member, that wonderful member, Glenn, he's been translating the Bible for 30 years. Maybe he can pronounce all the names for us. And so, you know, I appreciate that aspect of our church. You did a wonderful job. Thank you for your, the blessing of hearing the word of God read so well. And so one of, one of the things that I begin to notice, and, and you can pull out a lot from all these names, um, you know, I, I hope for you uh, that you can kind of start filing away some of those names in your own subconscious. And then as you read the New Testament, some of these people begin to make other appearances. And so if you've read through the book of Acts, which is more of the narrative of what happens with the followers of Jesus, some of these names begin to pop up from time to time. People like uh, Priscilla and Aquila and some of the other relationship Paul has. And so we do get this picture of what it looks like to belong to the church in this closeness of human relationships. So one of the things I noticed as you just kind of read through that list, and he uh, sometimes just lists the names, but sometimes there's some description of who this person was or the relationship he had to them. One of the things I noticed uh, is that Paul he has these friendships, these deep emotional connections with both men and women, with both single people and with couples and with families, and with uh, younger people and with older people. He has a very filled out religious family social circle. And I think that's pretty cool. I love that aspect of the church. And honestly, I love that aspect of our church. So a lot of times I'm in the position, you know, if, uh, if you have visited our church before, you know, we, we try to do follow-up with people, and sometimes I sit down with people and, and share with them about Park Springs Bible Church and, you know, try to answer some questions about what's unique about our church or what our church believes. And one of the things I always share with people about what I love about Park Springs Bible Church is that as far as, like, ages go, we're one of the most evenly split churches I've ever 
been a part of. And so I share that with people like, hey, here's why I love it. You know, I'm in my 30s. I've got uh, little kids. And right now in our church, I've got peers. I've got friendships of other people that uh, have their first couple of kids. And we get to talk about, you know, uh, the challenges of raising toddlers and uh, still being in the diaper phase of our life. Um, And then also there are some people here that are my parents' age. And those were the people I, I primarily connected when I first got to this church as a young man being asked to be the youth pastor. Like all of the friendships I made were with people in their 40s and 50s. And so I, I love that aspect that there are people that I, I, I just trust that are older than me, that kind of fill that parental role for me when I need that kind of steady personality to lean upon when my life feels a little crazy, a little out of control. There are these relationships I have within this church that just feel steady to me. And I love that aspect, that feeling of family. And in my role as, you know, uh, the the college minister, I've got people younger than me that I'm getting to pour into and, and talk about, hey, in your 20s, here's some of the pitfalls you can watch out for. And here's some of the ways you can continue to follow Jesus. And so I I love that aspect of church, that one of the descriptors the Bible uses so often is family, and that has been my personal experience here at Park Springs, is it does feel like my family. And the longer God has kept me here and blessed my life by being a part of this family, the more important that has grown with me. And so I love, and I, I want to just emphasize this with what Paul says And just a couple of these descriptions of these relationships, verse 3 and 4, he says this about two of his close relationships. He says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. And you can just hear that that depth, that affection, that shared experience they have because they have been walking with Jesus together. And then I love uh, verse 13. Look a little bit farther down. He says, Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, also his mom, who has been a mother to me as well. You can just see that aspect of family that is supposed to come out of a life lived for Jesus. And so I know one of the realities of just the way we're wired is that uh, we have this tendency whenever we are in a social setting to look around and see if there is anyone else like us. It's just kind of natural. We self-segregate in so many different ways. and, And so anytime we go into a new setting or a new place, you know, we want to find commonality, usually based off age or shared interests. We kind of look around and we find those people that are most like us. And I understand that That can be a starting point with relationships. But my encouragement to you within the body of Christ, if you are belonging to this church, is to not stay at that point. You know, that's one of the things I try to emphasize to our college students a lot. It's like, hey, you need to meet other older people within the church. College group is great, but I I, I would love for you to have these relationships with those people older than you, with those men who will know what that sound your car is making means, because I don't know what that means, and to have some people in your life that um, will help you along the way. We are supposed to belong to each other. And that's really what I see as Paul is wrapping up this letter and in that list of all these relationships he's had, all these affirmations he's giving about how people have followed the Lord and how we can greet one another and welcome one another. It is this really comprehensive sense of what church family looks like. And my encouragement to you is in your own lives to try to engage in that as well. 
And so I, I, I think a lot of you realize that there are different things that happen at Park Springs outside of Sunday morning in the gathering. And this is a, a great moment to be together, to collectively hear from the Word of God and to sing songs of praise. But as far as building relationally, it's going to be limited on a Sunday morning. You know, it might make me feel a little bad if you just chat up your neighbor right now while I'm trying to speak to you from the Word of God. And so there are other moments in the life of our church that we would just encourage you to step into. We have activities, we have Bible studies, we have gatherings, and I would encourage you to, to be at those for the sake of relationship, to be at those for the sake of your soul and the goodness God has blessed us with, with friendship. And so any of these activities or men's retreat or extra lunches or coming to a pancake breakfast next Sunday, those are opportunities God is putting in front of you for you to grow in relationships with others, which I just firmly believe will enrich your personal life and help bring you closer to Jesus. And I think that's where Paul is listing all these things, that it's not just names, it is the church. But I'd like to skip down to verse 17, where Paul does give some instruction before we wrap up our time in this letter of Romans. Verse 17 through 20 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, and innocent as to what is evil." The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. When we began our study of this letter, we outlined three purposes we believe Paul had in his instruction to the church in, in Rome. One of them was a, a clarification of the gospel. And so Paul has been doing that from the beginning of the letter of what is our salvation based on? How has the work of Jesus brought us into this relationship? What things still hold on us from the Old Testament? Or what ways can we understand how God did saving works in the past? So Paul has done that. He has clarified the gospel. And then uh, we believe the second goal was a, a unity in the church. That's what he was striving for. So we've talked about this reality of this divide between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers and how there was conflict. And so Paul was writing, there's a, a big theme throughout this is this unity aspect of how the body of Christ is supposed to operate. And then thirdly, we thought his goal was to um, prove God's consistency and faithfulness throughout time. That it is the same God of the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. And Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises back then, like that God's plan had always been the redemption of his people through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so if those are the three goals. I think it is significant that as Paul wraps up this letter, his final instruction is on the unity aspect of living out the body of Christ. And one of the things I think that is embedded in that is an understanding of the gospel in some ways is intellectual. And even um, um, the consistency of God throughout time is something our understanding can wrap our minds around. That, yeah, hey, we can see that throughout the Bible is consistent. But the unity piece is one we have to live out practically. 
That's the one I think is probably the most difficult because it's not internal. It's not just between us and the Father. It is these human relationships that rub against each other and we have struggles and we do hurt one another and we do have to forgive one another and bear with each other in love. And so I I think the conflict within the church is one of those things Paul wants to address as he is wrapping up this letter and that's where he ends his final instructions and greetings. And this is what he says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And so he is um, uh, laboring under this idea that, hey, I I have been teaching you what it means to follow Jesus. And so we can just recognize throughout the book of Romans, uh, Paul has been very heavy on this idea of justification by faith alone, that it is not these externals that make us holy before God, but it is completely trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus. And he's saying, hey, if there is um, anybody who comes into your midst, comes within this family gathering and begins to um, try to encourage you that you need Jesus plus these other steps, he's saying that's going to create division. And so he's saying, hey, this way I have taught you to love one another, to be faithful to Jesus, that's that foundation I want you to stand on. And you have to be wary of where division might creep in under these different ideas of what it means to live for Jesus. We've been taught to love one another, to not argue. And I have found in my time as a pastor one of the, 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 the core human issues that I have seen create the most strife within a church family is that people come in with a deep embedded pride over their religious ability. And so I I found it very interesting as we dug into the past couple of chapters and when Paul describes a, a weaker member versus a stronger member, What he really says is the weaker position with Christ is the person who places the most restrictions on their life. And I have just found that is a reality at times in church that somebody will come in and have a a sense of self-righteousness within their heart that they are a little bit better, a little bit closer to God because they place the most restrictions on themselves. And Paul is saying to watch out for that person. It can be easy to think that you are a more serious Christian based off the things you do not do versus based off a relationship purely founded on Jesus Christ. It can sound good in a religious setting, but ultimately it can be divisive if that is the posture of your heart is one of pride and self-righteousness. And as a church, we have to be on guard and love one another and be protective of each other and remind ourselves that my position with God is only based off the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that is the only thing that will make me right with God. I think one of the things that's been a warning in my own heart as I read these final instructions and greetings is the reality that in this day and age, some of those voices that might cause dissension even within our own personal family of God might not physically be here. And so there's this incredible blessing we have living at this point in history that resource-wise, we have more access to Christian teaching than at any other point in human history. But there's this other aspect that I have found and encountered with people where um, maybe a, a different thought or teaching or idea begins to creep into a body of Christ that is based off of the teaching of someone who's not even here. Now, I love podcast. 
I listen to a lot of podcasts. I enjoy listening to preaching. So I listen to pastors all over the country and listen to different sermons almost weekly. I love reading books. I like watching YouTube videos. Those are all great resources to grow our understanding of God. But I have also had the experience where somebody came into our church and critiqued what God was doing here based off of a podcast or a blog post or some other preacher online who they had never even met in person. And I think that's a, a warning to us. You know, I love uh, the, the book of Hebrews has some very uh, powerful words towards the end of it of how uh, the relationship is supposed to operate between members of a church and the leaders God has put in place. And in Hebrews 13, 7, it says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so my just encouragement to you, and I want to say it humbly because I know I'm up front right now with a microphone, is that um, the words of your pastors, and I, I would say this about Pastor Charlie, I would say this about the elders God has put in place here, the words of your pastors should have more weight in your life than a blog you follow or to a podcast you listen to. I think that's important because that's how this relationship in the church is supposed to work. You notice he said that in Hebrews. He says, consider their, the outcome of their way of life. There's this reality that you get a lot of access to me and Pastor Charlie. You get to see how we treat our families. You get to see how we raise our kids. You get to see us when we're stressed out. You get to see us in a lot of different settings. And how God has designed his church to work is that if you can look at my life and see the effect Jesus has had on me, then you should be able to trust the words I say from the stage on Sunday. And so I'll just be very careful if there's just a, a preacher you enjoy or a, a certain ministry that you, you don't actually belong to, but you get to see from a distance, if that begins to have more weight in your life than the leaders God has placed in front of you that you know personally. I'm just a big believer that whoever you consider your pastor, you should actually know them. And I've been very blessed by, by pastors and preachers and authors who I have never met personally, but they are not the, the primary voice God has provided for me for my own instruction and my walk in the Lord. And so I think we need to be careful and I think that applies in this day and age with um, the voices we allow in our lives and how some of those voices might create division even within our own church family. If they might create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Because this is what Paul says. He says, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And Paul takes it a step further, and he commends them. He says, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. It kind of has the same ring of, the, uh, of, of what Jesus recommends in the gospel to his followers, that we're supposed to be, you know, innocent as doves, but as wise or as shrewd as serpents. And so our kind of posture as a church is that we want to be loving and welcoming and inclusive and bring people into this fellowship all the time. But we also aren't going to be naive about human nature, that in a gathering of a group of people, some people might come in with motivations that could hurt our church 
And we want to be faithful and honest about those ways that we have to walk together trusting Jesus. And then Paul wraps it up into a spiritual component in verse 20. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I think the reality is that whenever a church has fractured or had divisions come about because of relational brokenness in it, there is a spiritual component that is from the enemy. Like God is God of unity. He is united in himself. He has redeemed us so that we can be united to the Father. And so when we do have significant church strife, we know that Satan is a part of it. And so if we are doing our part to walk in love towards our brothers and sisters, speaking the truth in love, bearing with one another's shortcomings, like we can recognize that there is also still an enemy at work who wants to divide us, that wants the relationships in this room to be broken, that wants you to feel like you do not belong, that wants you to think that you are an outsider, that everybody else is hanging out and they just don't want to include you. That is a work of the devil and let it not be here at Park Springs Bible Church. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. And just as Paul already said in Romans 8, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be more than conquerors. Jesus is going to win his bride, and that will include every single spiritual battle we face. Uh, There's a very old hymn, uh, not one we've ever sang here, but there's a line from it that I had heard that really stuck with me. Uh, And the hymn is called Jerusalem, My Happy Home. And it was originally in Latin and has been translated several different times uh, throughout the centuries. Uh, But there's this one line in it because it is talking about this future we have in Christ when Jesus redeems all things in their fullness. And so I love this line it has in the 16 93 edition of Jerusalem, My Happy Home. It talks about this home we are striving for, and it says this, where congregations never break up and Sabbaths have no end. And that is something I know that has just burned my heart as I have been brought up in the church, and I have seen firsthand when churches did fall apart. I've seen when uh, moral failure has destroyed ministries. I've seen where pettiness has ruined churches. And it is something we should strive for as brothers and sisters in Christ is to, you know, as Paul says, to be eager to maintain the bonds of unity because that is something our Heavenly Father wants. What parent among us would not want their kids to get along And that is based off honesty. It doesn't mean we aren't confrontive at times when we see sin, when we see issues, but it is based out of this love we have for each other, this depth of relationship and affection we have together. And then as Paul wraps up, he has what's typically termed a doxology. Is this final statement of truth. And this is what he says in verse 25. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. We have been on this journey together through the teachings Paul has laid out through the book of Romans, and it has taken different turns, and it's had uh, different points of emphasis, 
but let it just remind all of us that all of the things we do here are to be to the glory of Jesus Christ. Like he is the central theme of all that we are about. He is the object of our faith. He is our savior. It is him we want to make much of and not of ourselves and how fitting that it is where Paul concludes his letter. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. I hope if you have taken nothing away from these 30 weeks we have spent together in the book of Romans is that Jesus is amazing, that he is worth worshiping, that he is worth glorifying, and that we want to seek the glory of God through faith in Jesus Christ forever and ever. As we um, conclude this book this morning, it was, it was mentioned in the announcements, but we're going to end our service a little bit differently. We do believe in this idea of family, and there is a, a reality that uh, in order to spend 30 to 40 minutes unpacking the scriptures, sometimes that can be difficult with the younger members of our family, but there is this aspect of our music and praise that can bring us all together. So we're going to do a couple of things. I'm going to have you stand... I'm going to read this doxology over us again, and then I'm going to pray. And as I pray, uh, just know that we're going to transition into a time of singing. And I just want to invite the parents that uh, when I conclude my prayer to, to go ahead and go back uh, to our nursery hallway and pick up your kids and bring them in. And so as we end today, we're going to spend it all together as the family of God here at Park Springs Bible Church. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, God, that it is a sure testimony of who you are. I thank you for its instruction and its encouragement, God, its conviction. God, and I pray for all of us that as an aspect of our faith, we would have deep, meaningful relationships with each other. God, that we would spur one another on to love and good works. God, that we would speak the truth in love. God, that we would confess our sins to one another, that we might be healed. God, and that we would be long-suffering and forgiving when we will mess up. God, we thank you for the grace you have shown Park Springs Bible Church to bring us together through these past 40 years. God, and I pray there would be many, many more that the gospel of Jesus would be preached, that people would get saved, that families would be raised up in the faith and that we would labor on together towards you. God, thank you for the blessing of belonging to your people, the church. I pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.